It's farmer's market season in Michigan's copper country. We hope you'll get out and support your local farmers this season. On Tuesdays, you can find open markets in Houghton and South Range. Wednesdays, you can shop in Launce or Chassel. Thursdays, you can find fresh food in Hancock and Copper Harbor. Friday, you can visit the market in Lake Linden. And on Saturdays, markets will be open in Calumet, Launce, and Mohawk. Visit phfgive.org food to find hours for each market. This PSA is sponsored by Portage Health Foundation. As we resume the program, again, a reminder that because of the technical problem that prevented the show from airing last week, this interview was actually recorded on July 1st. Welcome back to segment two of Copper Country Today. I'm Todd Van Dyke. Again, thanks to uh, Matthew Furick, who was our first guest, one of three people who was on the ballot for the Republican 38th District State uh, Senate nomination coming up in the August 2nd primary. Um, I mentioned that uh, there's a third challenger, Kayla Wickstrom. We invited her to be on the program, uh, reached out to her a couple of different ways and did not hear anything back from her. So not sure what the status of her campaign is. We're sorry that we could not include her views on the program. I welcome in now the incumbent, Ed McBroom, a Republican from Vulcan, who is, as we record this on Friday afternoon, fresh off an all-nighter debating the state budget. And congratulations for getting that done, sir. Yeah, thank you. It was it was a long day, but uh, productive in many ways. Let me ask you, if I can, before we get into some of the, the campaign things, let me ask you about one thing that caught my eye on that, and that is a fairly large uh, allocation to deal with pension plan payments. Yes. Some people may not be familiar with this, but oh, some years ago, the organization that runs the pension plan for a lot of governmental employees in Michigan basically didn't collect enough money from local governmental units to cover the cost of the pensions, which has left a lot of governmental units in the hole having to make this up. Houghton County's been making extra payments on this for years. I believe the village of Barriga is a bit underwater yes. on it. And the village of Ontonagon is in a huge hole because they're responsible for the retirements of all of the hospital workers who worked at the hospital there before Aspirus bought it. Is this money going to trickle down to our level and help these local governments now? Yes. So there's two particular points that are relevant to this. One is that there was um, a bill that, or part of the budget that's been set up to specifically help nearly all communities across the state reach uh, 60% of their overall funding needs when it comes to pension obligations uh, for police and fire. And so that's a big help to many, many communities around the, around the state. There's, you know, debate has gone on about how much of this is the state's fault and how much of it is the locals' fault. Um, it's, you can argue both sides. Uh, there's, there's, you know, cases, I think, to be made both ways. Um, but we felt like one of the ways to invest this money from the feds was to try to reduce debt. Um, those are two kind of key focal points right now in the legislature are how can we reduce debt and how can we invest in infrastructure and capital? And so uh, paying, helping communities reach this 60% helps them free up a lot of other uh, internal resources uh, to provide better services to their communities, to be able to do repairs that they need to do. And so that's a really big chunk of this is to going towards helping every community to reach 60% of the funding level. Well, I'm sure that uh, the other. Oh, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
Well, the other part that, you know, is relevant to this is specific to Ontonagan. And of course, what you mentioned about their issue with taking over the Aspirus debt. Well, I mean, taking over the debt for their count, their village facility that now Aspirus owns. Um, and so they're in a world of hurt over that. And it was, it, it should not have been done. It was clearly an unwise decision. And so, um, there, there's significant funds. I think it's around three million, three and a half million, being put up to help Ontonag and deal with that um, to keep them from facing bankruptcy or an emergency manager. And so, couple that with the money they'll be also getting that the other communities do for police and fire. Uh, it's a significant help for the city of uh, the village of Ontonagon. Yeah, because there is a uh, proposal actually on the August ballot coming up, a countywide proposal to increase right. millage to try to help pay for that. So maybe that won't be needed, and we'll have to see how that plays out over the next several weeks. And as I recall at the time, uh, it was not deemed necessarily a wise move for the village to take that on, but the other option was that Aspirus wasn't going to buy it and the hospital would close. They were between a rock and a hard place, I think. Well, I wasn't there, so I'm you know, not in any position to judge you know, the circumstances of that time. I, <laughs> I was still in high school, so <laughs> I... Uh, I can't say for sure what those negotiations were and how exhaustive they were. I just don't know. I just know that, you know, it, it was looking back, it's obvious that we were going to come to this point, um, even when they made that agreement. So, um, anyway, I, I believe that, uh, the governor's office probably had a significant, uh, push on this or treasury or MEDC or MERS, the, uh, and the whole system you were referencing earlier, um, who's been working with the village quite diligently over the last several months to try and help them figure out what to do about it. Well, I'm sure it'll be much appreciated all around and take a big load off a lot of our local governments who wound up behind the eight ball on this. So let's talk sure. Let's talk about, uh, Ed McBroom, let's talk about the election campaign. You are running once again this year, the incumbent, yeah. of course. Uh, I've got it i got to start with something. Uh, the interview that I did with uh, Mr. Furick was, shall we say, contentious. Oh, uh, I'm um, sorry to hear that. Yeah, I was sorry that it had to turn out that way as well. And he tailed it off by saying some things, and I have to give, give you these things he said and get a response from you to them. I asked him about the report that the Senate committee that you chaired mm -hmm. looking into the election, uh, it came out and found no significant instances of fraud. He called you, and I'm repeating what he said. He called you a liar. He said your committee buried crucial evidence, and he called you and the committee's actions seditious and criminal. Any truth? No. no. I mean... We didn't cover up anything, and nobody paid me for the work I did, and um, we didn't tell any lies. And I have repeatedly asked anyone who's come forward and said that, because what he's saying is not original. Um, you know, all they need to do is show in the report where we're wrong. I mean, even if, whether it's a lie or not, not even the most important thing, just demonstrate to us where we're wrong. And I'd be the first one to desire to correct that. I have no desire to publish 
a report that's incorrect. I published it with the facts to the best of our ability to comprehend them and to determine them. And, you know, it, I understand. I mean, I'm not happy about all the things in the report either. Um, it's frustrating how few people actually take the time to read it and see how middle of the road it really ends up being with criticism for both sides, uh, with criticism and um, acknowledgement of both good and bad things that are happening within the system. And ultimately, we're able to show that despite significant problems, some of which were intentionally caused by the Secretary of State, um, in the end, the safeguards that are in the system did hold. It doesn't mean that we should just say, hey, it's the most secure election ever, because that's simply not true. Uh, there were a lot of dangerous vulnerabilities that should be fixed and addressed. But it's very obvious through both the way the committee carefully examined and followed the rabbit trails that were presented to us, as well as examining what other possible explanation there could be for the result that we ended up getting. And by that, I'm basically saying, when people frequently will come and say, how is it possible that Mr. Biden got this many votes? Um, and is there a plausible explanation for that within Michigan? And there very much is. And, and you know, for one of the things that a lot of folks, you know, have to remember is that in 16, we had um, two third party candidates that took almost 10% of the vote. Well, we didn't have that in 2020. So there's a very large pile of votes to add to either candidate than to receive in the major parties. And then if you examine where the turnout was up, it wasn't up in Detroit, it wasn't up at TCF. Um, and Trump did better there than he did in 16. So that doesn't stand to reason that that's the source of, of the loss for Mr. Trump. But where is it? It's, it's so obvious when you go and you look at these um, suburban neighborhoods in Oakland County, Kent County, Macomb County, check the, check the results. And it's just, it's just these folks that I was even getting letters from, Rick Snyder, Bill Rustum, many other Republican officials that had served in the Engler years and even back to the Milliken years, sending out letters begging other Republicans to vote for Joe Biden with them. And they had hundreds of, of co-signers on these letters. And those neighborhoods flipped dramatically because every one person who voted for Trump last time who flips to voting for the Democrat this time, that's a net gain of two. And the results just bear that out when you look at it. That's where it was changed. And even when you listen to some of the folks like Dr. Frank and others, they'll point out this is where that would happen is in the Republican precincts. And so, you know, we, we followed these rabbit trails. We could show that they, they didn't pan out to give the the conclusions that others were coming to. And we looked at what other ways could explain what we do see, what the results did show. And once again, I'm very willing for anyone, Matthew or others, to come and show me where we're wrong, because I would be very happy to correct it. I'd be very happy to continue digging into it if somebody shows me a new trail that we haven't been down yet. I haven't closed the door on this. I just had another meeting yesterday with a group that's doing additional investigations and we've sat down twice now and gone over their findings and continuing to work on this. One of the big things we're finding right now is 
the failure of clerks all around this state to upload their um, poll books, which they're supposed to do after seven days, and the Secretary of State is supposed to enforce after another seven days, has led to tens of thousands of voters appearing in the qualified voter file as if they had not voted. Now, their ballots were counted, the poll books are accurate, and the canvas shows the poll books that they were there, that they voted, and the tabulations match the poll books. But the QVF needs to be updated. And this failure to act was found by our Auditor General, and my committees had hearings on this and called on the Secretary of State to do a better job of enforcing this. So these are important things that we're still working on. And you know, I'm sorry that some have concluded that I've lied or other things like that, but I can just tell you, it, if they want to talk about it, if they've got specific instances that they believe are demonstrative of that, I'm very anxious to talk to them about that and show my work to them. And frankly, I'm with you on that as a journalist. If somebody has real stuff, I'd love to see it. But I keep getting the same warmed over things that have already been dismissed time after time after time. And I'm sorry if some people still believe that, but there's no reason to. I haven't seen anything at this point that would lead me to that Pulitzer Prize that I would win if I was really to uncover something in this election. So. Yeah. So, uh, let's talk about your term in the state Senate. Um, you have taken a leadership role on, particularly a very f- uh, forward one, with that committee that did the investigation. As you go into, uh, if, I'm, and if I'm correct, this would be your final term, right? That's correct. What priorities do you take in? Well, I continue to have the strong priorities I've always had about natural resource economy in the UP. And I think we are more focused than ever right now. And this is why we're having a a big meeting up at Michigan Tech on the 25th and 26th of July, I believe it is, to talk about mining and forestry and to try and really point out that this administration and previous ones, both parties, will roll out the red carpet for industries downstate who say, this is where we want to build our battery plant. And Next thing you know, it's like, boom, you've got permits, you've got everything you need, let's help you get there. Meanwhile, here in the UP, we have some major opportunity, whether it's with a forest products industry or with um, mineral resources. And the, the government basically says, well, here's, uh, here's the law, read this and fill out the applications and uh, we'll see what happens. And walks away from them until public hearings and you know, and next thing you know, it's 20 years later, several million dollars have been spent and they still don't have a permit. So um, I'm bringing several of my colleagues up who've done a lot of work in the economic development field. I've done work on the natural resources side of these policies. And we're going to try to, you know, break something free on this because we've got real opportunities brewing with um, Highland Copper, with um, a couple of other recent finds that not really publicly disclosing yet, but of course the one down in Stevenson area of Menominee has been well known now for 20 years. Um, whether Eagle has just decided to keep open for another three years in Marquette area with nickel prices being what they are. So these are tremendously important opportunities for the economics of the UP. And mass timber that Michigan Tech is now doing research on, tremendous opportunity for the Upper Peninsula. Why isn't the state rolling out the red carpet for this stuff? Um, why isn't the 
the economic development just easily greasing the skids for them to get there. So these are a couple of the issues that are real important to me, always have been, but we're kind of trying a new approach on it. I'm still working on education flexibility for high school graduation. We've got some significant victories. Most people are aware of that. But um, as I continue to work with the education community around the UP and with my colleagues downstate, I think the time is ripening for another significant uh, move forward in returning local control over our curriculum and letting our kids and the local professional teachers and the parents make decisions on where the kid is headed with a career and, and it, can that career be trained for something that we have here in our area and they can stay here and, and live here, work here, be part of our community. So I have those goals. Those are, you know, of course, very UP centric goals. And then I also really am anxious to continue my work uh, in the oversight world, um, government transparency, government ethics, um, financial disclosure laws, all of these things continue to just always percolate and show how important they are and how important it would be for Michigan to take serious steps forward in these reforms. I know that they don't necessarily, um, you know, they, they don't rise to the top in a lot of people's minds every day, but I, I really see them as an opportunity to lead the government in a better way than I found it. <laughs> and in a way that, you know, 30, 40 years later, we'll be able to look back and say, Boy, there was a big turning point there, and that has really made a huge difference in the people's ability to have a government that works for them. Talking with State Senator Ed McBroom, who is running for re-election in the 38th District. He is a Republican from Vulcan. You mentioned returning control to local boards of education, yes. uh, something that has been stripped away over the years. But on the other hand, I see coming out of your party uh, proposals to address this issue that your party doesn't like, proposals to address that issue that your party doesn't like, and they're looking at the local districts that may be going forward to this and saying, no, we don't want you to do that. We're going to pass a law that will stop you. Is there a contradiction in terms there? I mean, if, if you trust a local school district, why do you then turn around and say, well, wait a minute, we don't trust you? I guess you'd have to give me a little bit more specific uh, example of what you're referencing. Um, you know, I, I could make some guesses, but I, it'd be easier if you just want to reference something specifically. Critical race theory and this mm -hmm. new thing that's come up about, uh, and I don't know that there's ever been a situation where it's been been exposed in a school, but all of a sudden we're getting this very odd conversation about drag queens in schools. Okay. Well, I mean, the... The, the attorney general is the one who just in a speech a week ago or so suggested that we should have a drag queen in every school. But and I think that was done in jest, at least from what I've read, what I've read. Well, uh, doesn't seem like a very funny joke to me. Um, you know, it's especially since it was right on the heels of this drag show in Texas where children were right there in the audience. And that's just, and you have the drag shows, uh, drag, Queen uh, story hours going on at libraries all over our country and is uh, hardly seem to be appropriate. And what we, you know, when I'm talking about local control and returning that, I'm talking about, you know, over curriculum decisions and over um, high school graduation requirements and setting the calendar and, and things like that and the ability to negotiate with the local teachers on start dates and things like that. I, um, 
I don't think that looking at whether or not we're allowing drag queen story hour or other issues, um, whether we're talking about, um, you know, athletics and whether um, boys should be able to compete in girls' sports and stuff. Those issues tend to have generated so much political fervor that what we hear from the school boards and others is that it's impossible to make decisions at the local level because there's so much local tension and fervor over them. And so a lot of my colleagues then, you know, push to to take the, the reins at the state level on that. That's not generally my first response to these things. Is I tend to want to leave them as much local control as possible. Um, but you asked me a question why the party is doing that, and that's that's my explanation for it. Okay, no, I, I, it's just it seems a bit of a conflict, and at some point, obviously, a line well, does I'm, need I'm, does need to be I'm, drawn because the state does have a role. I'm often in conflict with my party on education issues, so that's really <laughs> nothing new. So. Well, and, and it's frankly one thing that's been a history of Michigan uh, legislators from the Upper Peninsula. The, the good ones, at least, tend not to fall into line with the party because our priorities here are not necessarily the same as the priorities that are set by the party leadership down in Detroit and Lansing. Well, and I think the other issue that's important to recognize with these particular issues that you've brought up, CRT uh, and others, is that most of what gets discussed in Lansing on these issues that I've been a party to has been discussing not allowing the Department of Education to push forward and, and mandate these particular issues onto the locals, as, such as happened a few years ago when Senator Casperson was still in office when they were trying to push um, the ability for boys to use girls' bathrooms and girls' locker rooms. And that was not coming from us telling the locals what they could or couldn't do. That was the State Board of Education and the Department of Education making a declaration and Tom ran a bill to tell the State Board of Education and the department to stop doing that. So, you know, Tom, I think, and, and I was working for him at the time, we were very sensitive to like, look, the local schools may have particular situations, let them deal with this, but to have a demand of a one-size-fits-all solution to their local problem from the state department just doesn't make sense and and it isn't a good policy on a lot of things that cookie cutter bureaucratic response make everything the same just doesn't work well whether it's for curriculum or bathroom decisions so it's not necessarily a mandate between you and the local boards of education it's a mandate between you and the state bureaucracy that's that's what I've primarily seen being introduced. Now I'm not on the education committee right now because, like I said, I don't <laughs> don't know as much to the beat of uh, the Republican drum on education or the Democrat drum. I've kind of got um, very uh, particular views on where we need to go with education. Ed McBroom, we've got to wrap this up. But uh, for those who want to know more about your views, uh, how did they find out? You've got a website, I suppose. Yeah, there's McBroom for Senate. Dot com and then the number four. Oh, wait a second. No, it's not. I'm, my apologies. It's McBroom for Senate and it's spelled out F-O-R, uh, the regular preposition. And um, or they can call me, find me on Facebook, um, you know, where I've got a forum coming up in Calumet later this month. I believe it's on the 18th. Um, so, you know, we're out doing the campaign thing and got parades. Recently it was at Bridge Fest, got the Strawberry Festival coming up. So 
you know, lots of opportunities to get together and discuss these things. And, you know, certainly anxious to hear from people and, and discuss these issues or other ones. Well, Senator, I very much appreciate you doing the interview here on Friday afternoon after a marathon session in Lansing. And I know you've got a couple of sick cows you need to take care of on the farm. <laughs> so, Yeah, I've but, got the one right here in front of me waiting on me. Uh, well, I will let you get to your cow. And thank you. And we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Hey, thanks so much, Todd. Have a wonderful day.